Hey everybody, Mitch Michaels here. It's time for another edition of your favorite sports podcast, The Money Mitch Effect. Best looking sports podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You know that's true. And we got a big episode today. We're going to talk NFL Week 9 in the books with Chris Miller back in the studio to discuss all things NFL. The Cowboys win again. The Eagles looking dominant. What to make of the playoff picture. Fighting and group touchdown celebrations back in the NFL. We'll break all that down. And then I'm going to talk to Jose Young's SI and fan-sided MMA writer for them. He covered UFC 217 in New York City. Lots to talk about there. Three title changes, three underdogs winning big. TJ Dillashaw, how he was able to beat Cody Garbrandt, some shockers as well in the women's trawlweight, and a big, big return for the legend, George St. Pierre. All that and more, including a boxing fight that's too good to be true, at least I think so, with the heavyweight title picture. It's Jose Young, but first up, Chris Miller, Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the week off strong. All right, Money Mitch Effect, ready to talk another week in the NFL. Back on the show, a returning clean shaven. Clean shaven, Chris yep. Miller, thanks that's for right. coming back. That's right. Get my playoff beard ready. <laughs> yeah, I mean, might as well, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I'm going to get some use out of it, depending on what happens the rest of the way. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but nine weeks in the books, a lot of interesting developments, as always, in the NFL. But how about this? We're still nine weeks in, and I'm still looking for that great top-of-the-line team, and no disrespect to the Eagles and their start and what the Patriots and Steelers are capable of, Chris, but maybe yeah. more so often than in recent years. I just don't see it. Yeah, it seems like every year, at least in the last, I'm going to say five years maybe, maybe less actually, the parity has been getting bigger, you know, like more and more and more in the NFL and no more obvious than this year. But hats off to the Eagles. I mean, they've been flat out dominant in the you know, so far, and and they they took it to Denver yesterday. They did. I guess we can start there because any time you get a great defense playing against Brock Osweiler, you're probably <laughs> going to have bloodbath potential, and that's what it was. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't know how you felt, Chris, but when that game, when they got up by double digits, I thought it was over immediately. Like, there's no chance their Broncos were going to come back, and that's really how it's been all season. You get a lead on them, that offense isn't coming back. Osweiler, Simeon, whoever, they just don't have it on that side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think they have a lot of the same deficiencies that the people used to give the Chiefs, uh, you know, used to say about the Chiefs. Like, they're a team that can play really good defense. But they're not going to put a lot of points, and they're not a come-from-behind team that's going to, you know, light up the scoreboard. And what amazes me is, I mean, they're not doing anything offensively for the most part, uh, whether it's Simeon or Osweiler, but C.J. Anderson's having a pretty uh, pedestrian season, too. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that's not going right I mean, for them. When, when you don't keep the defense honest with the threat of a passing game, it's hard for any running back to have success. Yeah. And defensively, no matter how much talent they have on that side of the ball, it wears on you. I mean, it's wearing on that team that they know they have to play the majority of the game. What yeah. I like about the Eagles, and we talked about it last week on this show at the trade deadline, how they just doubled up on their strengths. Oh, yeah. That power running game is going to be back-breaking when it gets cold and you get to big-time, big-boy football. Ajayi, oh, yeah. Blunt, and we saw Clement as well. Yeah. They can all be successful together, and I think throw you, a little Wendell Smallwood. You throw in, <laughs> yeah, you throw a little bit of Smallwood in just a dash, and yeah. uh, Wentz doesn't have to be Superman while well, he's 
proven at times he can be capable of doing that. He yeah. doesn't have to be that, and I think that's a good thing for this team. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, like I said, especially in Philadelphia, when that win gets whipping through there, you know, you can already see even tonight's game with Green Bay, you can see it's, it's starting to get cold in the places that aren't Los Angeles and San Diego. Uh, and that power running game is definitely going to be crucial for him. And, um, yeah, they came up big. Ajayi, first game uh, as an Eagle, man. <laughs> I mean, he lit it up. I mean, at this point, you got to write the Eagles in as probably winning the division, but definitely being in the playoffs. When you look at both conferences, there's a lot of uncertainty in the last end. If you're around 500, you're right there. You, you have yeah. as good a chance as anyone, which is why it's hard to eliminate any teams. But the Eagles have separated themselves with defense and with running the football, Wentz making big plays. But I don't think any win was more individually impressive to me this week than what Dallas did to Kansas City. In a must-win situation, yeah. Chris, they got to 5-3. and three. We know the Zeke thing is, is still looming over them. It just seems like it's never going to go away. But <laughs> defensively, Dallas is a much better football team than people give them credit. Oh, definitely. You know, and going into this season, everyone knew the offense was going to be awesome. They all knew that Dak was going to be good. They all knew that Zeke was eventually going to play or was going to play the whole season. And we knew the offensive line. The big questions were the defense. And I think what's really helped them is having a healthy Sean Lee out there. I mean, yeah. he, he's a game changer. He, he's hurt a lot, unfortunately. But when he's out there, he makes a difference. And people really connected in the game rave about him. You know, yeah. And I think you could see why when he's out there, he, he's well, just the quarterback of that defense. Well, when you watch him play like yesterday, uh, I mean, he was all over that field. I mean, he was a big reason why Kareem Hunt didn't have a breakout explosive game. Um, he's a lot like Luke Keekley. Uh when Keekley's out there. He's he's just quick to the ball. He's all over the place. And, and you uh, miss him when he's not out there. And you miss like him Keekley. when he's not there. Exactly. And even their, their secondary is playing a lot better than people were expecting. But I, I think the biggest the biggest is uh, definitely uh, Sean Lee and Demarcus Lawrence, of course, who's just uh, <laughs> been a, a beast on the front line. You know, Kansas City, what's, I'd say, troubling about them is they're losing to teams that are, for the most part, good. And I know, it, it, you know it, it, they play, they beat who they should beat. But Steelers, Raiders, who, you know, have been up and down this year. And then <laughs> yeah. the Cowboys, who, again, are another team that are at least at the very least very solid. You'd yeah. like to see the Chiefs put together some signature wins other than, that, other than that week one against the Patriots. I don't know what that is. Now, I should say the Eagles earlier before the Eagles hit stride. But yeah. I'm starting to see when the Chiefs lose these games. And I don't know that I expected this, but their line's kind of getting pushed around. Dallas got right in, in Smith's grill. I don't know, and, and shut down Hunt, as you said. I don't know that that's yeah. a recipe for success. Still like this team, but some issues to shore up. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I've noticed uh, a lot in the losses, you're not seeing the explosiveness of their offense like you you were seeing, especially against New England. They did have that one really good play with Tyreek Hill at the end of the second oh, that half. That was amazing, by the way. Can I just say, I've never it was seen... a fantastic play. It was a great idea to just... I think it was Romo who said it, because he says everything before <laughs> it happens. But yeah. it's kind of like a punt return. They just gave him blockers. They yeah. said, all right, you're going to play everyone deep. We'll give the best athlete on the field three blockers and just take our chances there. And it oh, was yeah. a better risk than just throwing it up, honestly. You know what? It's I definitely think a, a higher percentage play, and especially when you have someone like Tree Kill, who you get him in space with some blockers. You know, you put some bodies on a couple of people and and watch him do the rest of his feet, which he did. And 
<laughs> it was a pretty, pretty, pretty wild play to watch. It was awesome. And I do like Kareem Hunt. I just want to say before I say the following thing, you know how many touchdowns he scored in October? I'm going to go with... Ooh, I should say rushing I... touchdowns. Zero? Zero. <laughs> he has not scored a rushing touchdown that since late September. That explains my fantasy team. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe there's a blueprint out there. It certainly seems that way. Though, got to give a shout-out to um, another development in the world of celebrations, the, the, the sack race. <laughs> the, the Travis Kelsey sack race was hands down, I think, the best. TD celebration I've seen so far this year. You think so? I love that. I mean, that was Travis yeah, Kelsey always brings, team, always brings it, and I hate it because he's a chief. Yeah, but he always brings it when it comes to the TD celebrations, and that was hilarious. He put it best when he was talking to Randy Moss two weeks ago when they beat uh, the Broncos on Monday Night Football. When he talked about breaking down a route, and he said, "Just get your position here, go outside, and it's just dancing in the end zone." After it's that, dancing in the end zone. That's right. Uh, been some good ones tonight. We saw Rock'em Sock'em Robots by the yeah. Lions. Um, the Steelers did the bench press one. They played yeah. tag once. Yeah, um, I like I like the hide, yeah the hide and go seek by the Steelers. That was funny, um, but yeah, the sack race, especially I think it was Tyreek Hill who who got going like got a quick start and then just fell flat on his face and <laughs> it was hilarious. I'm trying to think what the next one I would want to see would be. I mean, if we're gonna go into the Duck Duck Goose, I think the did the Eagles do that one? I want to say. Oh, maybe that's, somebody that's did Duck great. Duck Goose as well. I'm uh, waiting to see some people bring back the classics though too. I mean, yeah. come on, where's where's the classic celebration? Little white shoes, a little yeah, <laughs> you know. But and, it's the team side of it because you could always yeah, but you could the the, the Falcons could get yeah, together and do a team dirty bird. Yeah, well, I mean, shuffle in Cincinnati if they ever score a touchdown. <laughs> if they ever score a touchdown, uh, yeah. Which is the odd thing that 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 confuses me though is even with these new more relaxed rules you still can't do the mile high salute which yeah um which is in honor of the troops and this being salute to the troops month you could basically you do everything except that pretend to urinate on the field <laughs> yeah, that's right or uh, twerk a bunch of times so you just can't or, do or those touch things. the goalpost in or any touch way the goalpost, yeah. um, you can hide behind it you can't dunk on it or jump against it like antonio brown did um a couple <laughs> years ago which yeah. is hilarious it just looked painful uh, yes. the chris miller money mitch effect let's keep it moving i do want to talk about another team in the nfc east that's not left for dead anymore we thought they were chris the redskins going to seattle and beat the seahawks in one of the wildest, back. weirdest games yeah. you'll ever see. Not the best coached, not the best played fundamentally wise. No. Wise, but the Redskins went in there. They took care of business. It wasn't pretty. They got the job done, and they did it. With all due respect to Kirk Cousins and his comeback, that defense. When Norman's out there, when D'Angelo Hall's out there, it's a different team. And when oh, they can get Kerrigan. the pass rush with Kerrigan, yeah. that's their recipe for success. I think. They lose a couple games to the Eagles. They lose earlier in the season. They didn't have their defense clicking, you know, firsthand what it looks like when they play a lot of that Raiders game. But that's a good yeah. defense. It is. And um, definitely, again, another one of these teams that has a, a vastly underrated defense. And I think that game against the Raiders week three, uh, the Sunday night game, was their coming out party. You know, here was a game where, uh, for all intents and purposes, people were expecting the Raiders to go in there, push them around like they had against Tennessee and the Jets the two weeks prior, and uh, yeah, the, the Redskins went out there and, and uh, hit them in the mouth and really, I think, showed the world, hey, you know what, we can play some defense too, and they've got some really good studs out there. Seattle game was so odd because Seattle felt like they were close to scoring a bunch. Wilson did not have a good game. Yeah. Well, he was the crazy life. He I was, mean, and that, that's how it is. And see, I mean, we've yeah. got to just almost accept the fact that they have no talent on that line. Although we'll see what Drayton Brown looks like. Yeah. But you know, they score the Baldwin touchdown. Blair Walsh was a disaster all game yesterday. Yep. 
They let Washington comes back down and scores again. The Seahawks manage the clock so poorly down the stretch, giving you know letting a lot of time go off the clock. And then Wilson takes that sack where I don't even know why they're not spiking the ball there. That that's what I didn't get in that situation. Yeah, I, just that's odd. A question. Yeah, it was a it was an odd game, but. Hats off to Kirk Cousins, that game-winning uh, touchdown drive. Well, the throw to Dotson, and that was the guy that, you know, especially if you play fantasy, everyone's been waiting on this guy. He's yeah. a first-round pick. All that talent at TCU lit yeah. up college. You started to see why yesterday because those were yeah. good defensive backs he was torching. Yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm curious. I mean, this is one of the things I was thinking about after that game. I've just been thinking about, in general, about Seattle. I feel like, especially on that drive, feels like there's a little bit of the like the mystique a little bit of the fear that the legion of boom and the seattle defense used to have is sort of waning a little bit i agree um i think it's there at times i mean cam chancellor you know and earl thomas i definitely but i, I for some reason i'm not feeling richard sherman this year no i, just, I don't i mean well, bobby Deshaun, widener with, yes but what deshaun watson but, did to that team i know it took a special performance but that was as bad as they've ever gotten gashed and it was in seattle as well even though they yeah. won that game they're vulnerable now I don't know if they're capable. They're, they're capable of having a, a throwback performance and dominating a game, but I don't know if they can win consistently when their offense isn't giving them much. Yeah, they can't run the ball. I mean, the ball. they're five and three, and this is such a frustrating team because I feel like potential could be Super Bowl, but they could also miss the playoffs, and that wouldn't shock me either because a couple bad breaks here or there is sure. going to be the difference between getting in and not. Well, yeah, I mean, they're still in second place in the NFC West. They're a like game back behind Los Angeles. They hold the tiebreaker right now because yeah. they did beat the Rams in L.A. So they do have some things working for them. I just have a hard time believing that's the team that's going to really go far to the playoffs in the way that they're I'm, built right now. I don't, I don't see them beating a team like the Eagles right now. I don't even see them beating a team like the Saints the way the Saints are playing right how, now. Yeah, we'll get to them in a sec. But how about those Rams? Six and two? Yeah, the I Rams mean, look it's great. ridiculous. No, Almost as ridiculous if you're a defense like the Giants that gives up a touchdown on a third and 33 screen pass. Yeah. But, hey, they'll take it. You know, the Rams look like a legit offense. Yes, they Their do. defense has always had the talent. I just don't think a lot of people realize it because sure. the Rams weren't competitive. And I mean, why would you want to watch a Rams game when that team wasn't doing good under Jeff Fisher <laughs> the last few years? But Fair they enough. have a good offense now. They uh, do. They have a good offense. Goff's made developments. Probably not as rapid as Wentz, but up there. But he, Gurley, doesn't, have the, he doesn't have the weapons that Wentz has. He he's starting to. And he's starting Memphis, to. And I, what I like about the game plan is, first of all, they got Watkins to buy back in. You know, I, I, McVay yeah. obviously could have just pulled at Adam Gase and just traded him at the deadline. But yeah, you have three legit weapons. Maybe not the best weapons, but Wat, Watkins, Cup, and Woods are yeah. all good receivers. Yeah. You add in the running game. The offense is built on just spreading it out. I think it's good. And when you have a defense that can punish, hey, I don't know how good this Rams team is. I know the schedule has been favorable, but they're beating teams that now they should be being, and they're taking care of business. Yeah, for sure. And, I, I mean, with – Rams, Jags, let's go now. With, with this being such – hey, you know what? Who doesn't want to see that? Uh, uh, no, uh, nobody does. Um, this being such a down year for the NFC West, I mean, outside of Seattle – having a better record than they are as an actual team right now. Uh, the Rams are looking good. The Niners are already out of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the the Cardinals They're, are... The Cardinals are 4-4. Four four. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy, this, though. Like, to think that yeah, they have... Yeah, the Cardinals are two know, games back. That they have the same record as the Falcons. Yeah. 
I mean, I mean, I don't think they're going to do anything. That would be a good I'm Chris Miller dress fest, by the way. The Cardinals, the, the Cardinals. Oh boy, <laughs> you know that's more like a, I would wear. I would wear one of the outfits that they had to wear in the uh, bucket that challenge. Would be good, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, legit, like logically, because I don't think they're going to do anything either. And I, I mean, you'd rather make a bet against them versus a Falcons team that could just turn it on. Sure, I mean, in the in the mm-hmm. NFC South, yeah, I would definitely put my money more on the Cardinals in the West than I would than mm-hmm. I would the Falcons because the, the Falcons at some point are going to start clicking. Yeah, well, the NFC South still talking with Chris Miller on the Money Mitch Effect Week Nine NFL Recap. I, I do want to talk about that division because lo and behold, the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, six and two, six straight wins. Yeah, and a lot of it. Is on their defense. Defense. Who would have thought that the defense that was historically bad two seasons ago? Yep. Is suddenly one of the best in the whole NFL. And also, Chris, I want to point out their secondary as deep as any secondary in the league. When you consider that Pro Football Focus ranks their you know the top five cornerback success rates, two of them play for the Saints. Wow, it's a different mean, different unit. <laughs> it is, and yeah, that's you, you never would have expected to say, "Hey, how about that Saints defense?" No, you know, I mean, I think outside of the the season that the Patriots are currently putting up defensively, the Saints hold the record for the worst scoring the, defense how, in, yeah. in, uh, in a single season. Yeah. So yeah, the Saints have never really been known for the defense, except for. Um, the Bounty Gate year. That was, well, great. Yeah. that was a good defense. I mean, <laughs> there may be a reason behind it. Yeah, extra money. <laughs> extra no, money. Um, uh, I do I do like do want to give the offense credit because yeah. Alvin Kamara is having a great year, finally in that amazing. role. Amazing. Mark Ingram has proven that he can be a bell cow, and they have their pieces in place. I mean, they signed Ted Ginn to be the vert- vertical threat. He opens it up. Thomas underneath. Uh, not Cooks anymore, but they still have a tons of different weapons underneath as well. Yeah. I like this team. Uh, Tampa Bay is just a dumpster fire. Although fighting is back in the league now, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, I think um, there's, there was more fights in the NFL yesterday than there may have been in the NHL. So there might have been. <laughs> I will say this though: I don't usually sus- uh, support suspensions, um, and I do respect standing up for your teammates, especially your breadwinner. But Evans deserved to be suspended because that was ridiculous. Not yeah. only did Jameis start the whole thing when Lattimore, who who's one of the better corners in the league this year. Uh, yeah, by, by initiating contact. But any athlete has been in that point where you stand up for your teammate, and there's a difference between getting in the guy's face and talking and talking trash and just full-on running from behind and taking him out. And I thought that was just yeah. totally unnecessary. You know, and I also think Evans is kind of a punk. I mean, we got to just – he's kind of has that reputation at this point. Here's what confuses me, though, and uh, I'm, I don't know if we're gonna, you were planning on talking about this later too, but – yeah, Evans, I definitely think Evans deserved a suspension. A.J. Green deserves a suspension, not getting one. one. A couple years ago when Josh Norman and uh, Odell. Odell had that thing, and Odell speared Norman in the head, <laughs> doesn't get a suspension. So uh, I'm a bit confused on this. I, I heard one of the reasons why the NFL suspended Evans and not A.J. Green is because Green got kicked from the yeah, game and that's Evans what didn't. I think, but but you don't you don't. Well, Green just snapped. He went, you know, UFC yeah. green naked oh, choke. He, he, I mean, something went, happened. I would he, hope he, he was that Ramsey the, said the something about fight his, the night before. I believe. Yeah. I would um, hope Ramsey said something about his family or that he he has to play with Andy Dalton. Maybe. One of those two things. I don't know. <laughs> um, but <laughs> now you got me off track yeah. here. Um, 
<laughs> what were we talking about? Fighting. I know. I, I, the yes. suspension side of things, though, to me, and, and when you fight, like you're gonna get ejected. Like that. That's a, a, a good rule in sports, unless it's a hockey square up. Like when we saw the Draymond Green basketball fight, and he was upset. Like, dude, you, you yeah. through punches, you're gonna get ejected. Yeah. Um, the Lattimore thing. I mean, the Bucks are just in a free for all. I mean, yeah. they are. They're so undisciplined. Jameis gave the weirdest speech before a game I had ever seen by anybody where he was licking his fingers and said that's a W and all that. Yeah. There's something. I didn't that, see the video of that, but I heard it was really it's, odd. Oh, God. <laughs> well, Dirk Cutter is going to get fired because he's, he's this is what happens. He's lost control of that team. He's lost the locker room. Um, yeah. This was a team with a lot of hype beforehand. Their defense isn't stopping anybody, and that line is porous. Yeah. Jameis is getting beaten up, so... Hey, the Saints yep. are taking advantage. Another team taking advantage is the Carolina Panthers. Because yep. there's That's a, quiet, is playing a really quiet well. five and three for the Panthers. Yeah, and again, defense and de- defense without Luke Keekley. Uh, yeah. You know, so you got to play. You got to play yeah, yeah. the last couple weeks. It's good. Yeah. Best game Christian McCaffrey's ever had yep. as a pro. Um, you know, they trade Benjamin because of what I had read was that you know, and other people have said it. He's very similar to a, a, a Devin Funches. Hmm. Funches is in that role. They want to just open things up. Samuel, the rookie out of Ohio State, McCaffrey, get those guys some touches. But it's still weird to me because Cam's not at his A. We know what his A game is like, and this is nowhere near it, but they're still 5-3. and three. Yeah, Cam, um, I mean, if you look back to his MVP season, I mean, he's, what, 50% of that sort if of quarterback. If he was like 80% of that, this would be a They'd Super be an Bowl undefeated right now. Yeah. yeah, but this defense, the way they're playing, they would be an undefeated team. What's wrong with the Falcons? What like four and four? Is it Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator? Or is yes. it that hang? Okay, I'll <laughs> no. stop there. It's the offensive coordinator. I'm, I'm just really anti-offensive coordinators lately. I don't know if no, you noticed right, this, I mean, but it, it, there's. I would say if we did the pie chart, a lot of it is the game plan sucks. But look, we got to call these guys out. Like Julio Jones, big drops yesterday. Yep. The running game is just not what it used to be, and the defense. Man, I didn't realize how valuable Vic Beasley was. I thought I knew, but without him, there is no pass rush. Well, Vic Beasley was one of the leading sack guys last year. Yeah, tied for first. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, when you lose that sort of production, you everything crumbles. You can't get the pass rush. Your secondary suffers. Um, but you look at the offense. The offense, for the most part, is the same exact personnel, but they're not playing as well. So what's the difference? It's the offensive coordinator. Now, I'm not going to put... 100% of the blame on Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian doesn't doesn't throw the ball. Sarkeesian doesn't catch the ball. But I think losing Shanahan as an offensive coordinator uh, definitely put a big dip in this team. And, you know, sometimes when you make a change at a coach like that, it takes the team a year or two to mm-hmm. sort of get the playbook and the feel for what they want to do. I definitely would say that this year, eh, probably not their year, but next hey, year, look for them to be a bounce back. You never know because 9-7 and seven might get you in the playoffs. It could. And it could. We'll see it very what well could. From there. I mean, I, I see one, maybe two teams out of the West, one out of the North, yeah. maybe two out of the maybe two out of the East, and then two out of the South and for sure. Possibly, and two maybe out of the South. So, I mean, yeah, because honestly, the North is the only division. I know you like the Vikings. They they got their work cut out. They're six and two, but it's a defense led six and two. We'll yeah. see if Bridgewater comes back and gives them something. But without Rodgers. The, the Lions are are what five and three now, so they're still still floating uh, around. I think that's the record. Five and three four and four. We got to pull up. You know they five win tonight. We're recording this right after the game. They are four and four now. Yeah. Only four and four, but without the Packers there. Yeah, you know what? Honestly, um, why not? 
That's not a bad At bet four to make. Four, I honestly, I, 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 I'm sort of putting my money a bit more behind the Lions. How about one and three at home? Three and one on the road, Detroit Lions. Very yeah. odd. Yeah, yeah. And their first double-digit win in Lambeau tonight since like 1984. Well, they've got like three wins in Lambeau <laughs> since like 92. This is like <laughs> so, I think this was Stafford's I mean, first win in Lambeau. Is it like one in five or one in he six? Won that, like, uh, did he win that game where they won two years ago in some... Yeah, it's it's one of I think he's got one other win here. So maybe two and yeah, two and six, or something, two and five. Yeah. But all right, um, Chris, or money Mitch effect. I gotta let you talk about your team because oh, the Raiders are a fascinating bunch to watch because they're four and five. Yep. It's been a roller coaster, a lot of downs, Tell me about some it. ups, but a lot at, of four, at four and five, not really out of the woods yet of being eliminated from the playoffs. So still a chance there, but. Definitely some some vulnerabilities you didn't see coming before the season started. What, if I could, as a Raiders fan, ask you, what frustrates you the most about this team? Oh, it's got to be the offense, hands down. I mean, going into the season, everyone expected the defense to have some struggles. But this offense, not only did they bring back pretty much the same exact team, they brought back the entire offensive line, they brought back Derek Carr, they brought back Cooper and Crabb, I would say they definitely upgraded at running back. They upgraded at tight end with Jerry Cook. They lost Andre Holmes, but they they got Cordell Patterson, who who's playing when, well. When they use him is great. But what's the difference? You know, coordinator. They let Musgrave go, and they bring in you know the quarterback coach Todd Downing. And let's just say you know without getting down too into downing. it, I am down on Downing. I'm not a big fan of his play calling. And what bugs me the most, and you saw this at the end of last season, when Carr had the hurt hand, they had to do a lot of the running game out of the shotgun, which obviously hurts your running game because your running back doesn't get that run up to get the ball to sort of get that mm-hmm. sort of momentum going. Yeah. And But that was a shortcoming that they had to do because Carr couldn't physically hand the ball off to a power run because his hand was jacked up. But his hand's perfectly fine this year, and they're still running the ball predominantly out of the shotgun when you have someone like Marshawn Lynch, line up, give him give him a fullback. I know I think Olawale is banged up, but you could put you know Lee back there, whatever. Uh, and just just give him the ball and let him well, let him power it. None of this zone stuff. It's not working. Just run the ball. Yeah, smash bounce. I'm surprised how you guys aren't as aggressive as before. Like that's the conservative play calling is what gets me. That Buffalo yeah. game two weeks ago, oh, right? Yeah. Walk right down the field and score didn't act anywhere near as aggressive the rest of the game. Yeah, it's just it's it feels like and I see it in Derek Carr too. Like it just there's something just not there. Like there's swagger that they had last year that that just like you know, we own this field sort of mentality. Yeah. They own, it's 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 missing and I and you know what? I, I hate to say it, but it goes back to that Redskins game where they were... It was like a soul-stealing game. Yeah, it kind of was. I mean, they were coming off a big offensive explosion against the Jets. 2-0 at the time. 2-0 at the time. And they got drilled, and they have not recovered. Now, granted, Carr was hurt and missed one game. Um, But still, like, they, they... they're missing something mentally, and it's yeah. it's that's what's killing you more than anything else. Is definitely this offense. Well, the defense, defense isn't. It's not perfect, but you know, you, obviously injuries play a factor. Yeah. The Raiders' defense isn't deep enough to where they can overcome an injury like another team. That's where I think you start to see what happens with 
The well, this is their got, secondary. Yeah. Secondary and their linebackers for sure. Their their line, I I feel like they have a, a mm-hmm. definitely some pieces that they can plug and play if there's injuries. But yeah, I mean they've already had a lot of injuries in the secondary, so um, they're playing pretty thin. For sure. Well, how do you feel about the AFC playoff picture? Because now the Chiefs are only you know two games up in the loss column. Yeah, six and three. So Denver is still. I mean they're in free fall, but they're. <laughs> You know, and four and five, three and five. Also, the Chargers are three and five. Yep. It still looks like the Chiefs are going to win this division. But, yeah, yeah. wild card-wise, who knows with this conference? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I I don't, I I don't know if this is a two-team conference for the playoffs this year, honestly. I mean, maybe, I, I, I certainly wouldn't say Raiders and Chiefs, for sure. You know what two you know what two divisions have two teams right now? The two that nobody would have picked in the AFC. The South oh, and the East yeah. are the teams with two teams as of right now that would go to the playoffs. Just pretty amazing. I mean, pretty amazing, especially indeed. considering one of those teams is the Jags. And oh, they're yeah. playing. They're playing. And the Bills. I mean, the Bills. Look, they played awful on Thursday night, but it's a Thursday night game. It's a Thursday night game. I'm yeah. willing to. And the Jets, if they beat a Tampa Bay team without Jameis, they're five and five. Yeah. Their over under win total was like four this year. They're gonna hit it and <laughs> then be five hundred. I know. It's incredible. Uh yeah. Money Mitch effect Chris Miller. I do have my Browns tee on today because they didn't lose as I pointed out before we victory went on. Monday. <laughs> it's, a, it's a victory Monday. That's right. Uh, what a disaster that team is. But enough about them. I would still take the Browns over the 49ers. I said that last year, I say it again this year. You always do this to me, but I don't under, like not okay, week sixteen, seventeen when Garoppolo gets accustomed to the playbook still. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, I think the Browns. Um, I think the Browns are a better defensive team. Offense, eh, it's a fifty-fifty. Carlos Hyde, when he's on, is pretty darn unstoppable. But I'm still taking the Browns. I'm taking the Browns if the, if the, if they play the head to head. What in the toilet toilet bowl? In the toilet bowl. If if those two were playing and I had to put money on it, I'm gonna put my money on the Browns. You know, <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen. But hey, you know, we're gonna have two 0 and 16 teams this year. Be pretty ridiculous. Uh, it would. You know, next week there's a lot of games. I think it's a good way to put a bow on all of this that are gonna be an, an ironing out phase. Sure. How about Falcons Cowboys? Ooh, that'll be fun. Dallas wins that game. They're six and three. Yeah. would drop to four and five. But if Falcons win, they're both five and four. Yeah. And the Falcons can say, all right, we've gotten through another tough team. Now maybe this is turning the corner. That was one that stood out to me. Yeah. Uh, oh boy, yeah, definitely. I would, I would definitely say the Cowboys have the edge on that one, especially the way their their defense is playing right now. Um, you know, I, it, it depends on which Atlanta Falcons offense shows up. Right now, it hasn't been last year's offense at all. So, um, definitely, I would say the Cowboys for sure. The other ones that stood out to me are Saints Bills, another tough test for Buffalo team to prove that they're legit. Saints can go for seven straight. How about yeah. Vikings Redskins? Sneaky good game, I think. A lot of defense. That's going to be smash. That's going to be a lot of defense for sure. I'm going to go. Ew, I'll go Vikings on that one just because I really like that defense. I think the Redskins are going to win that game. I think we're going to yeah. need to see Minnesota's offensive well, punch there. I think when it comes down to it, if you have two really good defenses and two pretty good offenses, then you got to take the better quarterback. So, yeah, okay, I could see that. Kirk Cousins for sure. Yeah, and the Dolphins, again, are on a primetime game three weeks in a row. This is getting ridiculous. They play on Monday night against the Panthers, but hey. It's the uniforms. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Will Smith, 1998, all over again. It's the celebrity owners. I don't know what it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, it must be. 
Uh, before I let you go, what did we learn this week? What were you wrong at this week, I should say? Anything where you're like, man, I kind of I kinda botched that. Oh, God, what did I I'll tell you this much. Jacksonville without Leonard Fournette going and knocking off Cincinnati. I know the Bengals are a mess. Did yeah, not think the, the Bengals... Jags had that in them to do that without Fournette. Bortles had a good game. Yeah. Oh, no. Wow. <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm no longer gonna second guess the Jags this season. Um, their their defense is legit. Whether or not uh, Jalen Ramsey is in or not, apparently mm-hmm. still good. I was definitely wrong about my Raiders. I thought that they were gonna go into Miami, <laughs> well rested on the victory. So, so <laughs> and they were gonna, well right. Yeah. Well, and I was talking this about talking about this with my friend of mine who's a big Raiders fan, and both of us were like. God, they won, but I've never felt so depressed or like upset and angry over a win. If only I could be so lucky. <laughs> you know, well, it's just. No, I know God, what you mean. I, 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 the I highlight think... of the game was Marshall Newhouse trying to be a hero running yeah. that fumble. <laughs> oh God, don't even start. Yeah, I Doing mean the can opener. <laughs> honestly, like I, I expected the Raiders to to right, play a should've. lot better against Miami, and they didn't. And uh, and. And the Eagles putting the, the huge smackdown on the Broncos. I I had a, I I knew the Eagles were going to win. I didn't think they were going to to bring that much pain, and mm-hmm. they did. And a lot of it was their defense. Well, if I had to go midseason Super Bowl right now, what it looks like, it looks like to me. If I had to pick two teams, I'm thinking, unfortunately, Pittsburgh and New Orleans. Pittsburgh, New Orleans. That would that's be a fun one, I wouldn't would it? Lean, that's who I would lean towards at this moment. That would be some explosive offense with some like. Pretty good defense. I mean, New England's New England, and the Chiefs are still going to be in the mix. But, God, I hate to say it, but the Steelers, I just don't know. Their defense doesn't have to be that good. Their defense is that good at times. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Shazier and Water have been playing. I just, uh, I think New England's vulnerable, and I think that's the team. Unfortunately, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I'd go them, and I'd go New Orleans, the, the most complete team in the NFC. I definitely agree. Like New England is vulnerable. Um, I think NFC right now, if I had to pick, I'm going Eagles the way okay. they're playing. You, uh, Eagles, I think Steelers, I, all Pennsylvania Super Bowl? No, no, I didn't no? say that. Okay. I said Eagles yeah. in the NFC. I think Eagles, New Orleans in the NFC Championship, yeah. I think that would be a great game. In the AFC, ooh, boy, that's such a toss-up. If honestly. it's not the Pats, then who is it? And that's where we get into this game yeah, of who is I, it. Probably Pittsburgh. But you know what? I, don't sleep on Jacksonville. I'm wow. saying, I hate to say It sounds weird. Wow. But – their their defense yeah, their weird. defense is legit from a travel standpoint too it sounds weird don't sleep on Jacksonville don't sleep on Jacksonville I mean, that'd be a great slogan down in <laughs> don't city. sleep on Jacksonville you know, you're in Florida with all the other ones but wow. hey you know what I mean Jacksonville and Carolina came into the league at the same time Carolina's had two trips to the Super Bowl the Jags came close you know it's their turn that's that's uh they're a good young team um you know Bortles is Bortles but that team the rest of the team is really good so. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm saying that would be a possibility, though. It's possible. It's well, going to be the Pats. Let's be honest. <laughs> I know. I know. All right. Chris Miller, this was fun. Thanks again for coming on the show. Until yeah, next course. time, good luck with everything. Good luck to your Raiders. And, hey, maybe the <laughs> Browns are going to win. I don't know. Hey, they're no worse. They're not worse than the Niners. I, Browns won 15. I'm saying the Niners are 16. Here we go. We'll see. All right. <laughs>Thanks as always to Chris Miller, one of my favorite guests on the show, and his Raiders still teetering that playoff bubble. 
Uh, but some big NFL games coming up on deck this weekend. And uh, if you're playing fantasy football, you know it's gearing up there as well. But thanks to Chris Miller for breaking down the NFL yet again. And speaking of experts, we're going to talk to Jose Youngs now, UFC MMA writer for SI and Fansighted, good friend of mine, and he gets to cover all the best UFC pay-per-views, all of them pretty much. And he was at 217 Madison Square Garden, which saw three titles change hands, including the return of George St. Pierre, his big victory over Michael Bisping. We'll talk about that, St. Pierre's legacy, the rest of the UFC card, and some other stories around the world of combat sports. It's Jose Youngs on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, fresh off the heels from UFC 217. Got my expert in here, MMA writer for SI and fan sided, Jose Young. Jose, another pay per view in the books. You got to cover it. What's good? I hope you're uh, adjusting well to the East Coast time zone. Well, adjusting is uh, is one thing. I'm not quite there yet. Uh, living in Arizona, I'm not. They don't do daylight savings, so. And as you know, on the East Coast, the fights usually end around one in the, one or two mm. in the morning. And right after the fights ended, all the clocks switched over, which completely threw me off even more. So not quite adjusted. Was basically running on pure adrenaline and coffee last fight week, considering it's New York City. It was for sure one of the best and most exciting fight weeks, and it capped off with arguably one of the top three greatest fight cards in UFC history. Yeah, and, you know, while we're all jealous that you get to be there and see every UFC fight, the card itself was very, very deep in terms of the talent, top to bottom. But I'll ask you this question right off the top, Jose. Can you remember in recent memory a card with as much animosity on it, not just one fight at the top? It seemed like everybody hated each other on this entire card. Yeah, in terms of the top three title fights, that's that's for sure. Uh, I can't really think of that th- that many where it was just like top to bottom, just like pure disdain and animosity between fighters i think ufc 148 was supposed to be like that or one i believe it was 148 that was anderson versus chael two and then they were going to do Faber versus cruz two on that same card and then i can't remember who got hurt but cruz and Faber got pulled i guess you could kind of say ufc 199 that was bisbing rockhold two and cruz Faber two those are two grudge matches but this I feel like was a little, it was a little more just because there was that third title fight. Yeah. So no, I really can't think of any because there hasn't been that many. Yeah, and we're going to spend a lot of this time on the big three fights and the shocking events that went down in each one of those fights. But kind of to set the tone for UFC 217, if you look at the prelim card, Jose, what stood out to you? I can tell you what stood out to me, and it was one of the most vicious kicks I've ever seen. But in your opinion, what stood out? What stood out to me was the New York State Athletic Commission still has a ways to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's been about a year since their first the UFC's first pay-per-view, and they're still getting their legs underneath them. I mean, we had that real weird Curtis Blades and Alexi Olenek where like, it was a low blow, or I can't even remember. And uh, oh, it was an illegal kick that they said landed, and they pulled him apart. Alexi Olenek couldn't continue, and then the replay showed the kick didn't even land. And Alexi Olenek said he couldn't continue, so for a while it looked like he, uh, Curtis Blaze is going to get get the DQ loss, but then they announced he won via TKO, which mm. makes no sense. Uh, so that was a whole debacle, and then you had the Mark Godbeer and Walt Harris. Yeah, Walt that Harris was weird. The, yeah, illegal low blow, and then illegal kick that followed Mark Godbeer. Couldn't return. He said he couldn't even remember getting kicked in the head because he was unconscious. 
Uh, and Walt Harris got the DQ DQ loss, so the winner was Mark Godbeer. So uh, two heavyweight fights that were supposed to be two slobber knockers ended in two contra- controversial ways. Uh, so New York State Athletic Commission has come a long way, but th- they showed they're still figuring it out. And in terms of what you're going to see, I know for sure it was Open St. Prue <laughs> decapitating Corey Anderson with that third-round head kick. Yeah, that was insane. I mean, that's a former Tennessee football player that's, I think, in his early 30s still, mid-30s right now. Yeah, he's around was... uh, like John Jones, Alex Gustafson's age, so he's not that old. He's pretty much in the prime of his career right now. Yeah. Well, that was violent, and it's funny you mentioned the New York uh, City, you know, commission and, and still having a long way to go. The first, you know, in the, in the first fight in the Olympic fight, I honestly didn't know what was going on, especially when the ruling. I was, you know, trying to figure out what was pieced together. The the Godbeer Harris one, that's one that I think is easier to see from the ref's point of view. He clearly called stop and. Godbeer just kept kicking. I mean, there was no way Harris could keep going, or should Godbeer, excuse me, could keep going after Harris kicked him, I should say. Yeah, and Mark Godbeer and, and Walt Harris, like, speaking with them all week, I mean, they're two of the nicest guys on the entire card, and they just wanted to, they were scheduled to scrap, yeah, they were supposed to scrap a UFC 216, but then when Derek Lewis got pulled from a fight against Verdun, Walt Harris got the, the call to replace him, so the fight was just rebooked for the next pay-per-view, which is good on the UFC because this is a bigger card. So it's going to be weird to see where this goes from here because it was a DQ win. Uh, I know Mark Godbeard didn't want to win like that. His manager certainly was upset. So I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC booked a third fight between these two men, honestly. And how about uh, another you know prelim fight? I think you mentioned it. Mickey Gall not exactly fighting CM Punk anymore. He loses the decision yeah. to Randy Brown. Who Randy Brown is somebody I've taken notice in his last couple fights. Uh, I, I don't know what the future holds as much as you would, but... I got to think there's potential with him. Yeah, Randy Brown's enough, is similar to Mickey Gall in the fact that they were both found on Dana White's Looking for a Fight TV show. And so Randy Brown and Mickey Gall joked that they were the two biggest names to come out of that show. So this was basically a fight for the quote-unquote Dana White Looking for a Fight title. Randy Brown won. It wasn't the most exciting fight, but maybe it showed Mickey Gall just he just needs experience. I mean, he was he's what, like 4-0, 5-0? Randy Brown was nine and two entering, and he fought Bilal Muhammad in his last fight, his last fight at UFC 208, which was this year. Bilal Muhammad is the definition of just a veteran fighter. I mean, he might not be the best, but what he has, what he has that Randy Brown didn't have was experience, where he knows how to take advantage of positions and take advantage of things that Randy Brown has never seen. Uh, Danny Brown has fought. I mean, Randy, Danny Brown, Randy Brown has fought like six or seven times in the octagon. Mickey Gall hadn't fought since. This, last December when he fought Sage Northcutt. And Sage Northcutt is one of the rawest talents on the roster, and he basically doesn't have a ground game. Mm-hmm. And then before that, he fought CM Punk and Mike Jackson, who were both 0-0 or 0-1 at the time. So it just shows what, what a difference is when Randy Brown, one of the more active prospects, going up against one of the least active, who has fought against people with less experience. So it wasn't surprised Randy Brown won. Would have been nice to see a finish between either men, but definitely keep an eye on Randy Brown. Certainly will. Still chatting with Jose Youngs on the Money Mitch effect. And UFC 217 was a very star-studded car as we get to the main card of the main events. How ironic is it, Jose, that on the same card where George St. Pierre is fighting for a title at the top, Johnny Hendricks is on the uh, bottom of the main card losing uh, a TKO to Paul Costa. I just thought that was ironic. Yeah, it just shows how far, uh, how unforgiving this sport really is. I mean, Johnny Hendricks is in one of those weird positions where his body is too thick to be what at the weight class he should be like 170 mm-hmm. but he's 
big enough to be a 185. It's similar to Hector Lombard, where his body is just thick. He can't cut to 170. Or Tim Kennedy was an absolutely massive human being, but he wasn't tall tall enough to be a 205er, and he struggled to get to 185. And when he did get to 185, some people were still taller than him. Like He was by far thicker than Weidman and Anderson and Bisping. He was just so much shorter. So he's in one of those. He he's in the category that would benefit from a weight class like, like 180. Uh, him and Hector Lombard and all those guys wouldn't have to cut all the way down to 170, but they they would still get to fight at a weight class that would uh, allow them to fight to their strengths. Because staying across the octagon from Paulo Costa, Paulo Costa is one of the biggest middleweights on the entire roster. I would say. Maybe Luke Rockhold and Chris Weidman are the only two that could be bigger than him. He doesn't look like a middleweight when you just see him with the eye test. Exactly. He looks like the Hulk. Uh, he's a good-looking guy. He's Brazilian. He's str- He's really trying to learn English in his post-fight uh, interview. He, he spoke in broken English. During all fight week, he, he, when he, whenever he could, he would ask uh, if he could answer in English. And if he couldn't, if he didn't know the answers, he would ask his translator. So it just shows you how serious he's taking uh, his practice in learning English. He's a good-looking kid. He's undefeated. Said he was going to be the next legend out of Brazil, and after that performance, it's hard to argue that the UFC doesn't have a bona fide star in Paulo Costa. Yeah, there's the potential there too. Uh, another another potential in that middleweight division, which is <laughs> suddenly getting deeper by the day. We had Stephen Thompson beat Masvidal in a good decision in our last fight uh, before the main events, and then it was time for the main events. I was say, just to put it into perspective, three title fights on this card, a rarity of itself, three upsets, three titles changing hands. Does that happen much? I mean, I can't even remember that ever happening before. It's hard to even, I mean, before this, the la- there's rarely ever UFC events with three title fights in general. I can think of, I believe it was 185 or 186 was when RDA... And Carlos Sparza lost their titles. I, I right. believe the last time we had both champions on a card lose, and coincidentally enough, it's when Joanna won the belt from Carlos Sparza, and then RDA finished Anthony Pettis. But to your point, to make it even weirder, Rose Namajunas, when she finished JJ, that was the first title fight, and that was the first round. TJ knocked out Cody in the second round, and then George St. Pierre choked out Michael Bisping in the third. <laughs> Six total so rounds. One, <laughs> so one, two, three, first title fight, first round, second title fight, second round, third, third Whoa. title fight, third round. So if the Illuminati exists, they definitely put this together. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Rosen Abunas blew me away. I mean, yeah. out of the three title fights, I picked her to win, but that was a very last second pick all week. I was saying Joanna, but after seeing Joanna's uh, antics and what have you and the weigh-ins and the press conferences, I just thought Rose looked, it, it reminds me of when Ronda tried exactly. to stir the pot with Holly, where she was pushing her on stage and, Holly remained calm and just made her eat her words with that shin to the head. And just, it, Ioana's antics just reminded me too much of Ronda. So, yeah, I, well, there, I am surprised. I am surprised it was first round, though. Yeah, there is a lot to be said about that. I think they're starting to see a trend here. And I'm just looking at the entire card all the way through the prelims. We didn't have a fight, you know, that was long all night. So, it's it, it's insane. But I do want to talk about that strawweight fight because in J-Check, Ioana champion, no longer a champion. And I, it's funny, I just got somewhat comfortable saying her name, but now uh, Rose Namajunas is the champion. And all prep for this fight, Jose, I kept hearing the same thing. Rose is a great up-and-coming fighter, but we're not sure if she's quite ready. Well, she was ready. <laughs> she didn't need a year. She didn't need a couple more fights. She was ready for this fight. And it was a TKO that was dominant. It wasn't one punch. She swarmed her. 
That's what impressed me. It wasn't just the lucky punch. Rose was the better fighter on that night in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, I mean, Rose, like I, like, like I said earlier, when Carla won, Carla Sparza won the inaugural UFC Women's Strawweight title, it was over Rose Navajunas, and I believe that was three years ago when Rose was like 22 or 23. She's done a lot of growing since then. She's been in there with Paige Van Zandt and Tisha Torres and Michelle Watterson, Carla, uh, Carolina Kovalkiewicz, and these are these are the who's who of the strawweight division. Like, yeah, she lost Car- to Carolina, but that was she was dealing with a lot of outside situations in her life. Uh, where she wasn't entirely focused on that fight. So, yes, she has, she's younger than Ioana. Yes, she has less fights than Ioana. But she's fighting against the best of the best. And every sing- she's one of those fighters where every single time she goes out, you question whether this is too soon, and she just blows you away. Like when she fought Paige Van Zandt, it was on short notice, and Paige mm-hmm. was just running through people. And she made Paige Van Zandt look like an amateur. Same as Tisha Torres. Michelle Watterson, one of the most popular women's fighters ever. I've been fighting for, for years and years and years. And Rose knocked her head off and then choked her out. And then so every single fight, it's the question, like, is this Rose's time to shine or will she fade under the lights? And she hasn't faded yet. No. So I'm really curious what her performance is next because, like I said, the all eyes are going to be on her now. She's no longer the underdog. And I'm very curious to see how she handles that aspect of it. So, Jose, do you think that Joanna was maybe, I don't want to say taking Rose off guard, taking her lightly, looking past her, but I heard a, a lot of rumblings that she was going to line up her next fight for a second belt. Do you think that played into a fact, played a factor into what we saw? I mean, it's hard to say. I didn't really get to talk to Ioana or her camp one-on-one this fight week, but I agree with you. Her The whole week, she was like, I'm going to, I'm gonna her quotes were like, I'm going to eat your soul. I'm mm-hmm. the boogeyman. You're not ready. Uh, she was teasing a big announcement after the fight, and then after the, after the fight, she said, I was hoping to go up to 125 and challenge for the second belt. So the big, you never want to look past your opponent. That's like rule number one. Joanna's been in, I believe, like over 100 Muay Thai and kickboxing fights before this. Uh, and since then, she's been in like 15 or 16 UFC fights. So I know she knows that. Maybe she got a little too comfortable. Maybe she took Rose's striking game lightly, if anything. Because before this, yeah, Rose has the flashy knockouts and the flashy kicks and everything. But her bread and butter has been her, her ground game. I mean, she's one of the best in the women's strawweight division with her jiu-jitsu. So may, if anything, I bet Joanna just took her striking lightly. And even today when she was on the MMA Hour, she's, she said that Rose didn't hit hard. She was just very accurate and hit at the right spot, mm-hmm. which probably caught her off guard considering she's such a, a technical – Joanna is such a technical wizard. So if anything – I would say she took her striking lightly. we got to run this back, right? I mean, the rematch is going to be happening oh, soon. She's got I mean, Ioana was running out of opponents to fight uh, with Paige going up to 125. Uh, she's already beat Claudia twice. Jessica Andrade, she beat Claudia t- in Japan, but Ioana made Cla- uh, Jessica Andrade is like an amateur by winning those 50-45s across the board. Uh, so I-, I never say like someone winning or someone losing is a good thing because I don't, I don't, it's, it just sounds a little too biased, but for the entire women's strawweight, Ioana losing was probably for the best considering it, it adds new, it breathes new life into that division, if that makes sense. Like when it Anderson, does. when Anderson was running out of opponents and then Chris Wyman knocked him out, all of a sudden all of these new fights just materialized. So uh, the women's strawweight division is for the first time in like a year is, is, is on notice pretty much. You know, she's younger. She's not in that post peak, you know, where Anderson Silva exactly. was. And I want to see the next chapter. I want to see if she can bounce back from a loss 
and, and add to her legacy that way, get her belt back. We'll, we'll have to see Jose Young's Money Mitch effect. The fight that I really want to talk about the most is what happened at the Bantamweight title because TJ Dillashaw and Cody Garbrandt, for all the for all the hoopla and the drama outside, there was one fight on this card that just felt authentic, whether it was a trash talk beforehand or what was going to go on in the middle of the octagon. It was Garbrandt, Dillashaw, and Jose Dillashaw is a champion. He took the title back with a second-round knockout, but I want to start with this. Do you think he wins this fight if Garbrandt connects at any other time than late in the first round? It's That's really hard to tell. I mean, TJ and Cody, like like you said, like, this was real. This was authentic. Like, they truly did not like each other. Like, not only did they not like each other, but their camps didn't like each other. TJ's family just does not like Cody Cody Garbrandt. Like, Cody uh, TJ Dillashaw's brother got escorted out of MSG after the fight. <laughs> I heard about that. issue with Cody Garbrandt. So, this was as genuine as you can make it. But take all that out. This fight is just the definition of martial arts. Like, they, this... In terms of competition, I believe this is the most evenly matched. Yeah. I mean, TJ Cody, and I'll throw Dominic Cruz in there. Like, those three are 1A, 1B, 1C in terms of skill set versus skill set in that division. Yeah, and yeah. I thought, I think we talked about that stylistically. This is just a beautiful fight. This was two. 100%. Like, whether they hated each other or not, this is the fight I was looking forward to the most because it was skill set versus skill set. These two, like, it's just made for fight in the night. I mean, you saw it in that first round. They, TJ was throwing and Cody was dodging everything. Cody connected with that that hook right to the button and dropped TJ. TJ popped right back up, struggled back to his seat, and then what show it it shows what great fighters these two are. Where TJ had his hands down, Cody knew to capitalize on the mistake and dropped him. And then same thing as TJ. I mean TJ capitalized on uh, Garbrandt's drop to left hand with a hook to the button and dropped him and finished him with strikes. So a great opponent not only knows how to use his strengths but uses opponent's weaknesses against him and both of them showed that so it's hard to say what would happen if 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 cody could connect because it didn't happen but Mm -hmm. i really want to see these two run it back it probably won't happen next uh yeah but this was my favorite fight of the night and my favorite fight of the night going in it definitely delivered it was and and i was impressed i mean i i know what these guys can do and and you see it time and time again but dillashaw's chin being able to take a Garbrandt shot and and still find the, the energy and the skill to win the fight in the next round. But his striking, I want to break that part of it down because this guy is a ground machine. But should we be surprised that he can throw it with a guy like Cody Garbrandt who might have the heaviest hands pound for pound in all of UFC? I mean, Dillashaw was throwing with him, not just at the end, just a heck of a fighter and one that I, I came away blown away by how all-round impressive he was. Yeah, I don't think Dillashaw is stronger, is a harder hitter than Cody. He just might be one of the most accurate. I mean, yeah. that fight between him and Cruz, like, for as much as we're talking about TJ and Cody putting on a great performance, TJ Dillashaw versus Dominic Cruz was just a master masterpiece in footwork and accuracy. And TJ has been training with Bang Lugwood. He's a, he's a Bang Muay Thai fighter. His striking has been on the rise since he, since him and Dwayne Lugwood linked up and he knocked out Hennon Barrow, so... He might not hit harder than Cody. He might not be as fast as Cody, but he's probably the most accurate fighter in that division. And Cody, for he he can throw kicks, but Cody's bread and butter is his fist. Like he mm-hmm. he has dynamite at the ends of both his hands. And T.J. Dillashaw is much more versatile with his kicking attack, and he's much more uh, he knows how to set up his kicks with his punches. So Cody's still young. He was undefeated. He got his first loss, but I would still put him second or third in that division. 
But like I said, it's 1A, 1B, 1C with Dillashaw, Garbrandt, and Cruz. And I think those three are going to be fighting each other a lot in the next in the next two years. Yeah, just one loss for Garbrandt. He'll get back in the title picture. We just don't know when because unlike the last fight we talked about, they're not going to run this back, Jose. And you know very well why that is because Dillashaw wants the one mega fight out there that I think you would even uh, get giddy about, and that's Dillashaw, Demetrius Johnson. Yeah, I mean, that's the best fight I can... That's the best fight I like either DJ or TJ can make, and TJ's trying to stir the pot a little bit, but I know for a fact TJ respects Demetrius Johnson. I don't think there's anyone on the roster who doesn't respect Demetrius Johnson, but Demetrius Johnson said if the money's right, TJ's the next fighter. I mean, I know T- Demetrius Johnson turned down the initial fight with TJ uh, Dillashaw, but that was for contractual reasons. It wasn't because he didn't think he could beat him or he was trying to duck him. Uh, he just doesn't... The, the question out there is, can TJ make 125 pounds? Guarantee he can make 125 pounds. Because he doesn't. If it's a title fight, he doesn't have that one-pound luxury grace where he gets the... He can't weigh in at 126. He has to be 125 on the button. And Demetrius Johnson wants it in his contract where if, if TJ misses weight, he gets paid more which I don't blame him one bit considering there's no there's no proof that TJ can make weight outside of TJ's word and his nutritionist word. And Demetrius Johnson basically wants insurance for the fact that if I go through a whole fight camp, cut all this weight, take time away from my family, that TJ will show up and make weight and not pull out of the fight. Yeah. Uh, so if he gets that insurance, which I expect him to get, then Demetrius Johnson and TJ Dillashaw is one of the best fights in UFC history, and I would expect that probably on 4th of July weekend. Yeah, I can't wait now. I mean, when they throw this out there, and you know, you know Dana White and company are listening too, but uh, I, I do think that fight's going to happen. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, as you said, probably one of the best fights the UFC has ever had. All right, Jose Young's Money Mitch Effect, one last UFC 217 fight to, to discuss. The middleweight title fight, George St. Pierre defeats Michael Bisping by a rear naked choke in the third round. George St. Pierre, Jose, is a middleweight champion. First time in this division, yeah. and he's holding the belt. An interesting fight because as we both saw this unfold, George St. Pierre looked a little gassed early on. He was yeah. not winning early, but he turned it around. How did he do that? How was he able to take down Bisping and, and hold gold in this new division for him? Well, George looked absolutely massive at middleweight. He, You could tell he put in the work to... to he said he, he couldn't just fight at middleweight, like all those initial pictures of him when he looked fat. I mean, he said, like, I can't just become a middleweight. I, he wants to do it right and bulk up the right way. He doesn't want to doesn't want to just drink water, make the weight, and come in like a, blo- like a blown-up 185 or kind of like Johnny Hendricks. Uh, he put on the weight right. He came in absolutely huge. Michael Bisming said he was incredibly strong and had one of the tightest grips he's ever experienced. And like you said, he looked gassed. But George knows what to do. Like when he looked gas, he took Michael Bisping down and tried to use his 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 signature like grounded pound to like just wear Bisping down and catch his breath. But all those cuts on George's head were from <laughs> Bisping attack from the bottom. So in that round, in the second round, yeah, George got the takedown. But I would still give that round to Michael Bisping just for the fact that he dominated from off his back, which just shows how much he had been working on. Like yeah, the the game, the blueprint out there for George St. Pierre is out there. Like jab, jab single leg takedown and you could tell Michael Bisping had been working on his attack off his back just for that reason and it, it worked and George popped back up and then dropped him and then choked him unconscious so uh, like you said George got gassed but George is like Michael is like LeBron James or Michael Jordan or Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers where 
yeah, they're good skill wise, but what what sets them apart is their IQ and their their ability to game plan and watch tape and just prepare for every scenario. So yeah, so they're uh, not, not surprised. Prepared, yeah, exactly. It's George is George has OCD. It's that's no secret. He is obsessed with his opponent, and it showed that he knew exactly what what to do and. Like, like when you were watching, most a lot of fighters when they drop their opponent, they'll gas themselves out throwing bombs from the top, uh, trying to finish it with a TKO. And as soon as he saw an opening, GSP switched to the back and put on a rear naked choke. And Bisping said that he went unconscious. He didn't tap out, not because he was trying to be a man and show how tough he was. It's because George choked him so quickly that he didn't have time to tap. He just went unconscious right away, which yeah. just shows how smart George is. Where instead of gassing himself out and possibly give Bisping an opening to survive and then take advantage of George being tired, George just says, enough of this. I'm just going to choke you unconscious right now. I mean, he, he saw his opening and he pounced. It was very, very smart, very, you know, very legendary. I'll be the first to say it. George St. Pierre, whatever happens from this point on, this fight is going to be a, a big line in his, you know, UFC, you know, Hall of Fame induction, whatever you want to call it. This is a legend. This is a top five to ever do it one of the best ever in the octagon i argue top three possibly number one now because you oh, i yeah. always that's true <laughs> i always believe anderson was the best in my mind the three greatest were anderson george and fedor in that order and then mighty mouse and bj and aldo were always like four five six in my mind and, but we, fedor, can't, yeah, and we can't count people that have had perennial drug problem so <laughs> my limit takes away fact, like Anderson was never a light heavyweight champion Fedor was never a light mm-hmm. heavyweight champion there's only one double weight there's only one double weight champion in that group and it's George St. Pierre and he's basically the definition of pound for pound right now so it's really hard not to make an art it's really hard to make an argument that George isn't the greatest fighter who ever lives and Bisping going forward, Jose, I, I can't think, and, and it's great that he got to this point, but he was relatively a journeyman before he you know, shocked Rockhold a few years ago, a year and a half ago now. But I, I can't ever see him getting to this level again. Uh, I just We talked about how deep the middleweight division is, so I don't know that he ever holds that title again. He's got his issues to sort out with uh, Romero and whoever he might fight. But now... We're looking at George St. Pierre. Is this right? The middleweight champion? He's going to fight Whitaker next? Like he's going to try to clean out the middleweight division? George says he is contractually obligated to fight Robert Whitaker. I believe Robert Whitaker would be the favorite because, as you said, George kind of gassed out. It looked a little slow at the end. And Whitaker has some pretty incredible gas tank and Mm -hmm. hits a lot harder than Bisbing and is a lot more accurate with the striking and has an incredible takedown offense. I mean, if Yoel Romero can't take you down, I don't know. I don't know who can. So I would say Whitaker would be the favorite. He's younger. He's more active. He's a he's a real middleweight. But I'm not sure. I know for a fact they're not going to stick George St. Pierre in Australia, where Robert Whitaker is from. They have that big up upcoming pay per view in Perth, Australia. And I know Dana White wants to put Robert Whitaker on there. So if Bisbing had won, I believe we'd be seeing Bisbing Whitaker in a in a unification fight in Perth. But Dana wants to put George in Montreal. I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe challenged Tyron Woodley at That's welterweight. What I want. Okay. <laughs> yeah, or, or for all we know, they could be trying. I know they, the UFC would want to do Connor and uh, GSP maybe 175 one, or 170. It obviously, I would love to see Whitaker GSP, but I don't know what GSP's new motives are. I mean, he hasn't even he didn't do the post fight presser. Dana White said Whitaker, but 
Dana White also said if Tyron Woodley beat Damian Maya, he'd be fighting George St. Pierre, and we saw how that turned out. <laughs> uh, I guess just stay tuned for whatever G- for whenever GSP breaks the silence. Yeah, well, GSP's back. The legend's returned. He got his belt. Capped off a, a very historic UFC 217 pay-per-view. Jose Youngs, before I let you go, i got to switch to a different sport. I didn't think I'd be bringing up boxing, but I, I have to pinch myself and remind myself what sport this is because what happened over the weekend in addition to UFC 217 was Deontay Wilder beating Silvermay and then calling out Anthony Joshua. I mean, what is this really happening? Are we going to have the title unification fight at heavyweight that we've long wanted? I sh- God, I hope so. I mean, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in the, in the end of 2018. Uh, you always got those mandatory opponents that uh, Wilder and Joshua have to fight. But he, like even like the week be- weekend before, Anthony Joshua fought, fought Carlos Takam in, in Wales, and he sold out that massive arena. He won by 10th round TKO. Questionable uh, stoppage, but Wilder Joshua is basically the Triple G Canelo of the heavyweight division. I believe that's going to be the big. That'll be the biggest heavyweight title fight, uh, and probably the last ten, probably since Lennox Lewis versus Mike Tyson. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree with you. I I, we, I wanted to bring up what what where that would rank on the biggest title fights, heavyweight title fights. You can maybe say Lewis Klitschko, but we didn't really know how good Vitaly Klitschko was. Yeah, uh, I would probably say Lewis Tyson if this happens. I mean, these are two beasts. Pretty much in their prime. Joshua might not be in his prime. Wilder may be a little past it, but we're talking about the two best by a mile. And the two hardest hitters. I mean, and both, like I believe what Wilder's 20-0 with 20, 20 knockouts, and Deontay Wilder is like 38-0, 39-0. Now, yeah. And he, I think he's only been to a decision once, and that was against Sturveen, and he just knocked him out in like four punches this past weekend. I mean, it was like, what, a two-, three-minute fight? Wilder threw maybe five or six, four punches and put him to sleep. I mean, Stavreen was, like, face down on it, like, face down unconscious. Didn't look like he wanted to be there at all. Uh, so Wilder has, has basically run out of opponents. Anthony Joshua is still young. He's a gold medalist. He's a good-looking kid. And I don't know who I – I mean, every day I go back and forth. Like, Joshua blew me away with that Klitschko fight, being able to weather the storm and pop back up because, I mean – you and I have been watching combat sports long enough. Like, yeah, you can hit hard. Yeah, you can avoid punches. But what champions are made is what happens when you get knocked down mm-hmm. and if you can pop up and keep your composure. And Anthony Joshua showed that against Klitschko. But then his last fight, he he looked like he was struggling at times. I don't know if that's because he didn't take his opponent lightly or because his opponent was just better than he thought or Anthony Joshua wasn't as good as everyone else thought. But I go back and forth every day on who I would pick. After seeing Wilder basically decapitate Sturving, Stavern, however you pronounce his name, it's hard not to pick Deontay Wilder in that fight. 6-7 Wilder versus 6-6 Joshua. I mean, that has to happen. It does. I mean, we're at a point now, but I'm wondering. This is very, very different and, and how the roles are kind of reversed where now boxing is trying to unify the best fights in the weight divisions. but. UFC is kind of letting the stars roam a little bit to put the big money fights. So it's so weird, man. It is such a bizarre time in combat sports. It is. Well, Jose Youngs, this was fun. I know that you're gonna maybe not tomorrow, but at some point, be like me and tune into this thirty for thirty on Ric Flair. Oh, of course, man. Like <laughs> I know you're the big Ric Flair mark. Uh, yep. I love Ric Flair. You can't argue he's not one of the top five greatest wrestlers ever. He 
for sure, I would say, outside of Vince McMahon, no one has a more interesting life story than Ric Flair. And you know, for and I've been hearing about this thirty for thirty for years. I am beyond excited. I've only heard good things about it, and I heard it is so brutally honest that'll make you cry. So I'm for sure gonna watch it. Yeah, it's he's been around so long, so influential. Um, yeah, I know that the serious stuff is what I'm really intrigued to see, and uh, I have heard good things as well. But as far as uh, you know, you bring up me being a Ric Flair mark. The last thing I want to leave you with is the work. Is it a work or a shoot between The Rock and Tyrese right now? What's going on there? Oh, man, I don't know. It's the Rock and Tyrese. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, I've ha- I've only seen like maybe one or two of those movies. I know Tyrese is like always up in arms about something. I seem to always see in the media. Um, but I mean, The Rock is the highest paid I mean, actor ever. Yeah. Potentially be our president in a few years. So I'm. I have no idea what's going on there. It's The Rock and it's Tyrese. So if it's not a if it's not a work, if it's not just some big angle to, to drive up ticket sales, Tyrese is pretty dumb. I mean, it just oh, basically exactly comes dumb. down to that because you've got nothing on The Rock. Not you're one not, thing in this life do you have on him. <laughs> you're not going to out smack talk The Rock. That's one thing for sure. No, and and yeah, let's uh, let's just keep it at talk Tyrese. You don't want to you don't want to <laughs> do that. <laughs> That's so funny. But all right, Jose, this was great. Uh, good luck getting back uh, to Phoenix safe and sound. And uh, until next time, we got more UFC boxing to talk, so uh, we'll be linking up soon. Looking forward to it, Money Mitch. That's it for today's show. Big thanks to Chris Miller and Jose Youngs for appearing on it and dropping knowledge as only they can. Big thanks to Brian Nelson for supplying the logo, Tim Adams for the beats, and thanks to each and every one of, of you out there for listening to this show and turning it into what it has become, 115 episodes strong, which can all be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Leave a review, a rating, subscribe, follow me on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21, that's where the podcasts are posted, as well as some other sports and interesting takes. We got a lot of big sports to talk about. Just because baseball is over doesn't mean we're stopping. More college football. We're in the title title chase now. Unfortunately, the Big Ten not looking so good uh, with Ohio State's loss. But some big games to talk about there this weekend. There'll be another episode this week to do just that. And we're going to talk baseball. Now that baseball's over, we're not going to talk baseball. We're going to talk basketball and hockey as well. Lots to discuss in those sports. The Celtics winning nine straight. Trouble in Edmonton, the NHL, and other news and notes from around the sports world. But I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. If you like it, share it. Tell a friend. That's it for today's episode. I'll see you next time.